You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie, and today we are joined by the professional-ass therapist, Catherine Queering. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, you got it. Yes, okay. <laughs> I, I'm really bad. All right, but welcome. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. I love having therapists on the podcast because I feel, well, one, I'm obsessed with therapy, and two... I feel like it's just helpful, right? Like this is the exact language that was not given to us in religious spaces. And we're just kind of talking about how in society as well, we don't (laughs) talk enough about emotional intelligence. Right. I mean, and that's a huge part of understanding ourselves and growing and having healthy relationships with ourselves and others. And yet it's so mysterious. (laughs) I know. And I mean, it's less taboo now, but I mean, I remember growing up as a kid, it's like, oh, therapy, you're crazy. And it's like, okay, well, thanks for that. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, I remember even in college, I was so anxious, but even at that point, as a person that later became a therapist, I did not consider going to therapy. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, that's only for people that are suicidal, right? That's not for me. I'm, I'm managing, I'm coping. And I hear that now from people too. When I'm like, I can tell you're anxious. This will really help you. And they're like, no, no, like, I got it. It's okay. Oh, <laughs> Instead of it being amen. like this huge self-growth tool. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm still kind of like that with my depression. I only started antidepressants because I have fibromyalgia and the medication that yeah. prescribed for that is an antidepressant. Right. <laughs> because I, I, and I mean, that's my own like culture and stuff like that attributed to um, the stigma. But I mean, I'm all for it except for myself because I'm also an artist. So I have that weird, like, I'm not going to be creative anymore, which is such bullshit. But I'm working yeah. on it in therapy. I'm working on it in therapy. <laughs> awesome. But before we uh, start off into the bigger conversation, tell us a little bit about you and your story. I'd love to hear it. Awesome. Well, where would you like me to start? Do you want to start like way back in the day where I grew up or like kind of my most more recent yeah. process? Yeah, as early as how, like, how'd you get to be a therapist? How'd you get to where you are on a deconstruction podcast? The whole nine yards. (laughs) All right. Well, I grew up in a really big Southern Baptist church and, you know, was a part of the whole, you have to get saved. um, You have to be born again. The confusing messages of you are so unique and created by God. And like, we have this loving, wonderful community and you are so evil and depraved and like nothing good can come from you and feeling pretty at home in myself until that message kind of sunk in of like, oh, the way that you're connecting with yourself and with God and with other people, you have to be wary of that and you can't trust that. And we as this like external authority are telling you the only way to connect to God is to recognize your like own depravity and pray to sinner's prayer. And, you know, everybody applauded me for that, but it was, so I have noticed in retrospect that I learned how to manage myself and watch myself and be careful about not hurting others and being a good Christian, but I was not living from really inside of myself anymore from a pretty young age when I felt like I had to um, do that to be a good Christian. And instead, 
of having a self and living in myself, I was codependently attached to God. Mm. Um, I learned later as I got older, the first thing I learned was that I was codependently attached to my mom, that that was an enmeshed relationship. So that definitely influenced it. But looking back, all of the teachings and all of the messaging were promoting a codependent relationship with God and an anxious attachment towards God. And I really felt that. So I felt the benefits of the closeness, but all this, also the anxiety around that. Um, if I didn't pray enough or do my devotions every day, or if I felt something inside that made me anxious or could be shameful or could be simple or could be hurtful or wrong or whatever those things were, right? There's a lot of um, hyper awareness mm. and hypervigilance around my own inner world, that that was not a safe place. And that meant God wasn't fully inhabiting me or I wasn't fully <clears throat> committing to God. And then God in turn might turn away from me. Um, there was a book I read as an adult that talked about um, this image of God being in a swivel chair, where if you're doing the right things, God turns towards you. And if you're not, that God turns away. And I was like, that's what it felt like, right? At any moment, if I didn't feel close to God, that that meant I was doing something wrong. I mean, there was those very clear messages of, you know, if you feel like there's space between you and God, guess who did something? God never changes and he's always generous and loving. So, oops, it was your fault. You better fix it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so just living within that, that constant need to have toxic positivity and um, always be the good Samaritan and always help everyone around me and never hurt anyone and don't ever be angry. And there was just so much of a like box around that, um, both in behaviors and feelings and, and how I needed to relate to myself and God and others um, that led to a lot of anxiety and, um, you know, what I have called sweetness laced with disapproval. I did have a lot of warmth and sweetness, but there was always this underlying, like, oop, there might be judgment. Oop, there might be distance. Oop, there might be tension in the relationship. Like always that anxious attachment fear there. Um, and so it wasn't until I actually went to grad school for clinical psychology that I started learning all of this. Um, and the first time I went to therapy was there and my therapist helped me realize about the codependent attachment. And as I started unraveling my family patterns and I started unraveling my relationship with God and that had to change. Um, and so I kept finding healthier and healthier spaces, um, in relating to myself and that's become primary for me for, um, not abandoning myself anymore that I moved to maybe a little bit more secure attachment with God to like avoidant attachment with God while I securely attached to myself. And then from there, I've had space to be like, okay, who even is God? What is God? What is the divine? What do I want to connect with? Like what does anti-oppressive spirituality actually look like? Um, and so that's kind of where I'm at today, but that was a long journey of that. And I remember even in that, not being sure if I could trust myself, like the ways that I connected with God before felt so codependent that I couldn't do them. But then, oh no, I might go off the Christian path, right? There's so much um, in this kind of high control, high demand evangelical environment of a lot of suspicion of anything that's outside of what they say is okay. Um, 
but I definitely still had a lot of that fear. And um, thankfully, I think that's mostly <laughs> been worked out now. But um, I mean, I think that's part of the the trauma that's just such a tiny invasive chronic thing that happens little by little over mm -hmm. time. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of people, well, a lot of evangelicals, when you say, oh, yeah, we're all religiously traumatized, they're like, oh, you're being traumatic, or um, like not understanding the complexities of the human psyche is kind of a detriment in this kind of arena. Right. Yep. Because if you don't understand different attachment styles, if you don't understand the way that your messages can affect not only the developing brain of like a child, but the brain of an adult who's just trying to find some sort of solace, you can't really see the damage that you're inflicting by essentially telling everybody that they're pieces of shit <laughs> like don't deserve right. love or affection right i mean and even the potential for not only that being a semi-abusive relationship potentially but preparing you and making you vulnerable to other abusive relationships like your only worth as a person comes from god loving you mm. right the, and this benevolent master loving you and showing you like goodness and kindness and benevolence when really you deserve nothing mm. like how does that not then transcend into all your other relationships right how does that not make you vulnerable to abusive and narcissistic relationships and how does that not perpetuate that in the church exactly i mean like i think about parent relationships and i don't have any kids but i've been around a lot of kids and i have dogs so i think i understand <laughs> But like you have a kid and you're not thinking you don't deserve anything. I brought you right. into this world. So I'm the reason why you're a good, why you can be a good person. Right. And we think of God as this giant parental figure for us all, but that sort of relationship doesn't exist with God because right. we're just that terrible. Like, right. it's kind of like I told my parents when they bitched to me about me misbehaving or whatever as an adult mm -hmm. and they're like, um i gave birth to you like you're the reason i exist and i always say like well i didn't ask to be born i didn't ask right. to come into this world and right. it's kind of the same with god like i i didn't tell you to make me i didn't tell you to make humankind into what we are like that's not our fault and i don't think that right. god faults us i think that religion kind of did that to us but there's this like psychological disconnect that is right. not <laughs> and that and you're asking for autonomy that that's deemed rebellious mm -hmm. right just to be an autonomous human being mm -hmm. <laughs> with the right to feel and experience and believe anything you want and that being safe exactly for the uh for the sake of education can you explain to the folks what is an anxious attachment style and why it kind of pertains to our relationships with god and the evangelical church sure um, so anxious attachment is this place kind of like I described in my own experience where you feel really close or you feel like you need to be close to make sure that the relationship is okay. Um, and if it's not, you feel a lot of fear or tension that, oh no, maybe I did something wrong. Oh no, maybe that person doesn't love me anymore. Oh no, they're withdrawing. There's a lot of um, fear and anxiety around any sort of distance that that means rejection, that means abandonment, that means something's wrong with the relationship instead of it just being healthy space. So yeah. usually with anxious attachments, there is not enough sense of each person as an individual self 
it's more this sense of um, who they are in the relationship and the relationship becomes primary. So as humans, we both need relationship and connection and we need this autonomy individuation and healthy relationships or secure attachments have both of those things. But anxious ones only have the primacy of the connection over being an autonomous human being. Mm. Where then like on the opposite side, avoidant is the opposite of that, where autonomy is way more important for safety than the connection is. So the connection gets um, is secondary to feeling autonomous and feeling in control and feeling um, like, you know, the other person, like there's no uh, weakness or vulnerability there. So that's kind of how that one is on that side. And then secure is in the middle where you can have an autonomous self and you can be connected. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I love when you said that we have to have secure attachments to ourselves because I feel like most, most of us don't most, I mean, that's kind of a trope of society, right? Like we're all (laughs) taught to hate ourselves for one reason or another, but can you uh, explain to us a little bit about what it looks like to have a secure attachment to yourself? Yeah, so one thing is divesting ourselves of this um, teaching we've had of duality, that our mind and our bodies are separate, that we are embodied creatures, that our body is us. So we get to live in our bodies Mm. and our bodies should be safe and our bodies are places that give us information really important information about our experience in the world, help us navigate the world and help us know what's safe. And so when we disconnect from that and we say that any of those messages are not safe, that's part of this disconnection from ourselves. Um, Then there's, you know, the extra layers of like gaslighting, like what you're thinking and what you're experiencing or what you're feeling tell you um, are interpreted incorrectly instead of just being information. And that's another way that we get disconnected from ourselves, um, that we have to believe, for example, in religious trauma, the authority of the scripture, right? You have to believe God, you have to believe the authority of the scripture over yourself and Mm. your own intuition and experience of that. And then, like I mentioned with feelings, you know, that whatever you're feeling is a clue to your experience. And it is your, like, I, I, talk about it as a metaphor of like a boat to get you across the river of your situation. Um, It doesn't mean it's an indictment or anything to judge. It is just part of your experience. So being securely attached to yourself means that you get to have all those things. Your thinking, your feeling, and your body experience are all things that you can inhabit and that you can trust and that work with you instead of um, sabotaging you. Um, so as a therapist, the main framework that I use is internal family systems or IFS, Mm. and it, it helps us understand ourselves. It's like a collection of, um, like sub personalities or little parts inside. Um, and they all get to be like a team working together instead of parts trying to override each other or sabotage kind of like I was saying of, um, so maybe one part of you is like, I have to keep pushing harder. I have to work harder. I have to do this thing. I have to finish it. And another part is like, I don't have energy. I have to stop, right? Like Mm -hmm. I need some rest. I need some balance here. And if those parts are both as securely attached to you and trust your highest wisest self, then they're going to work together to help you find that balance, right? Instead of 
going back and forth in this tug of war that we often feel inside. So that's another layer of that self-trust. Once there's um, you're present with yourself, you can form healthy relationships with all those even sub parts of yourself and experiences inside. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> I actually on Tuesday was kind of talking about something similar in therapy with my partner and my therapist. And they were <laughs> roasting me, the two of them, for <laughs> always listening too much to my, like, because I, and this is the part that frustrates me with personality tests is that people don't really understand the nuances mm. of them. But like my personality right. in the Myers-Briggs is INTJ. And so I make decisions with my thoughts. And right. unconsciously, I feel like I really grasped onto that. It's like, yeah, I'm a logical decision maker. I, I make decisions with my thoughts. And uh, at therapy, they were like, well, maybe sometimes you need to make decisions with your feelings because it sounds like you're tired <laughs> and you feel mm. like you need to sit down. <laughs> right. But I mean, we get stuck on these ideas of who we are like this. I mean, and that's not a secure attachment. Right? Like you're not secure. I'm not secure enough in my feelings to allow them to make some decisions just as much as I like listen to my thoughts or listen to my lo the logical side of my brain, which can sometimes not do justice by the feelings. Right. Right. Yep. I mean, yeah. that's why I like, I like to think about them like a team, right? That yeah. it's important for us to get input from both. And then we can balance that out. I I really like the idea of like the yin and the yang, right? That oh, you need yeah. the balance of both and they kind of intertwine to help you find the best balance. Yeah, because I mean, if you only make decisions that are logical or that you think about or whatever, you forget about your body, right? And you, you talked about embodiment. Like it's really easy for us to lose sight of the whole picture. Um, that's why I love, I mean, you kind of, have dived into the world of deconstruction. I very appreciate it from a thera therapy student, therapy, therapized person. <laughs> yeah. Um, like you have a masterclass. I love that. And you have like a quiz. Can you tell us a little bit about that and like what the work is surrounding those things? Yeah. So the quiz is just kind of a way to enter into this um, exploration of your attachment style to God. What, um, what helped you create enough safety and coping growing up. And then you can reflect on maybe how that is now or what you've needed now. Um, so I have a quiz to help you start thinking about that, that we can include in the show notes about, was it more anxious attachment? Was it secure or was it avoidant um, in the way that you attach to God? Um, and you could extend that to the church or the community or mm. you know that kind of thing in the religious settings, your parents, because uh, that definitely influences it as well. Um, cause I think that gives us a trajectory then for what that healing looks like to safely connect to yourself and securely connect to yourself. And that that is the most important thing to do before then you can have any safe connection with the divine and yeah. with other people. Um, because otherwise there's the, the risk of abandoning yourself again. Mm. Right. And like, to me, that is the most sacred space that you have is that internal space, um, that's your core wisest highest self right that probably has some of the divine in it but it's not this emptying yourself for god to fill you like that is I, I don't even have words for that yet it just feels so bad in my body and i remember what that felt like growing up feeling like i had to do that that lack of control um and lack of even being able to be 
have a self. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's my goal. And that, that is part of healthy connection. It's mm-hmm. a learning to attach to yourself. And then from there you have safety to connect. Um, in IFS, like I mentioned, there's um, eight or nine, there's a debate about that, um, qualities of our core selves. And there's clarity, connectedness, compassion, um, creativity. There's a calm, I always forget a few of them, but I think it's important to realize that when we're connected to our true selves, that that connectedness automatically happens. It happens with all of our parts inside that can be kind of um, disparate and it happens with other people and with the divine. And that naturally happens when you have enough space for curiosity and connection and listening to yourself. Oh yeah. I mean, could you, if you feel comfortable, could you share a little bit about how you deconstructed and how you found yourself where you are now? Yeah. um, It's been a process where so much of it, so much of the effective work that I've done has been in therapy and I've, I've done spiritual direction and I've done some other things. Um, I think deconstructing my beliefs and like the, the thoughts has been secondary to taking care of all these parts inside of me. Mm. So kind of the first step was the, Oh, the codependency thing. The second step was, Oh, then I can have any feelings I want towards God. So I, I don't have to be happy and grateful all the time. I can be angry and that's okay. God can take it. Mm. That was kind of my next step. Um, and I can be, I was kind of depressed at the time. Um, so I was so burnt out from all the anxiety and like, that's okay. I can be there. I don't have to be helpful to everyone. I don't have to be productive, like exploring new ways of being and that they were okay. And that I was safe and secure and not like then destined for hell or like disconnected from God, just extending that level of safety and then um my husband is the one that got me out of conservative circles and that helped tremendously too because before that I was still I had more safety within myself but there was still this sense of you have to have the authority of the bible over you Mm. and that always has to be your plumb line and you can't listen to yourself apart from that and so that was helpful to me that I, I found enough safety out of conservative spaces that I was able to be like, Oh, we can interpret the Bible differently. That's okay. <laughs> like that's safe too, because people love God too. Yeah. And that was kind of the next step of that for me. And then um, more recently, like within the last year doing a lot of anti-oppressive work and anti-racist work and um, learning about that as well as doing deep uh, deep dive into religious trauma I've kind of come to the place where for me personally I can't like queer theology might be okay um I think there is some space for reclaiming the bible and understanding it in different frames or liberation theology but for me it's been such a place of patriarchal like Mm. power this benevolent or torturous God, um, you know, that we're supposed to follow and that's the king and there's this, you know, just such an authoritarian structure to it. But um, I've just had to kind of take a break from that. I don't have any ill feelings um, in the sense of like, I'm able to coexist with it. I'm, I'm married to a 
PCOSA pastor. And so like I'm at church every week and it's fine with me. There's a lot of space there without guilt um, to be where I need to be. And that's, I think a gift in itself, right? Um, that there doesn't have to be religious trauma around that. There doesn't have to be this pressure to conform. Mm. Um, and I, I definitely not felt that in that church and that's been helpful to me. And so, yeah, it's, it's, for me, I've been needing to connect more to mother earth and being part of this, uh, structure that's not extractionary that's not humans above nature but that's um i think the term is animistic although that doesn't really resonate with me of like we are part of this ecosystem and we are Mm. part of the cosmos and that is where i want to be and to define find the divine there that's connecting with me and connecting with the earth and connecting with others and so that's been my focus um and that's the place that i'm at now and there's more, you know, growth and exploration to happen, but that's what I've been paying attention to and what my soul is resonating with right now. Yeah, I mean, I love that you have a church space that isn't like full of pressure because I I often equate the evangelical church structure as being like a narcissistic parent. Um, yep. I think mostly because I have a narcissistic parent. So it's like just so yeah, I see right? the, the red flags in both. Oh, absolutely. We should talk about that some more too. Yeah, I have a whole list. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, <laughs> like <laughs> you have the gaslighting. You have the, they won't apologize to you. The zero empathy. I mean, I could go right. on and on. The it's certainty, just... right? Like yeah. it has to be their way. That is the only mm-hmm. right way. That's yep. the truth. Yep. And then you kind of ascribe all of that to God. Like, well, then God must be a narcissist because, I mean, this is supposed to be capital H, his situation happening down here. Right. There's there's not space to be an individual, right? Mm -hmm. It's this, like, you're always under the narcissist. Their image is primary and only how you serve them, right? Yeah. And you there creates a lot of confusion and what you're experiencing and what reality and what truth are and that you have any space to have a self apart from them and to like experience reality apart from the reality they give you mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's funny i um uh, actually work at a church which i never thought i would ever work for a fucking church but here i yeah. am <laughs> yeah um and it's a methodist church so it's much more progressive than very many but um, so it's just me, the pastor and the worship guy, and we always have these conversations about how are we going to do church different because we have so many people who have been traumatized by church and then give it another shot and just are here for the community. And that's great. And a lot of, I feel like I'm a trauma informed service person right, because right. it's like, okay, well, I understand that they're not coming to church every Sunday and that looks bad for our numbers. But um, I'm not going to text them because that's rude. <laughs> like They feel comfortable not coming to church because they don't feel like it that day and they don't have guilt right. about it. So let's keep it that way. <laughs> right. Yep. And it's all the things that the evangelical church refuses to do, right? Like if you're not serving every Sunday, so there's something wrong right. with you. If you're not devoting right. your whole paycheck, your, all of your time, your children, then right. you're not doing what you're meant to be doing, which is feeding the system right right which is so narcissist 101 
Yeah, right. It's such a high demand environment, yeah. right? That you have to give all of yourself to it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, right. I I know. I remember I used to be kind of tortured by the phrase in the world, but not of it. Ugh. Because anytime... <laughs> yes you had any value that resonated with someone outside of the church that was deemed suspicious instead of a place for collectivism and like building around common shared values. Mm. Um, that, that felt to me similar to this high demand, like you were only serving the life of the church and this like God-driven mission of saving souls. Um, mm-hmm. It's supposed to be, I'm going to have other values that we're connecting around. Yeah, I mean, like, even I think about if you're a talented human being, if as soon as the church finds out, you got to start, you got to start using it for the glory of the God, you know, right, right. if you're even slightly musically inclined, you learn the three chords on the guitar, oh, worship team, you can pay attention to the slides, you're on slide duty. Yep. And it's not even like a question, right? Like they demand it of you. And if you don't do it, you right. feel... Ugh, it's just so not it's crazy when you do go to therapy and you like do the work and you're just like hey this is not nice this is not a great environment for anybody uh-huh. yeah yeah and it's i mean let's talk a little bit about supremacy and how it plays into this narcissistic culture because i feel like especially nowadays i mean you look at florida you look at all these other states where like you look at idaho like oh we're building a community for only christians because and we want to build a country that's only for christians because we have it right like this is the way that everybody should be thinking what is your what are your thoughts on that as like a therapist seeing all this play down oh gosh i have so many thoughts (laughs) um this has been really transforming and helpful for me and thinking about it in terms of these like wider systems um in fact, I've been thinking about it in terms of the the verse about, you know, our fight is not against people, but principalities and powers. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I think this is the power we're fighting against is the white supremacy, patriarchy, mm-hmm. capitalist culture that um, has been so harmful, you know? And so anywhere that we're moving both internally in relationships and in our wider culture from like domination to collectivism, from high control, centralized control to listen to yourself and others, from mm-hmm. respect and honor this centralized figure, whether that be God, scripture, or the pastor to respect for all, mm-hmm. all, you know, from humans on top to humans are part of the ecosystem, from extraction to respectful use, like anywhere that we can recognize those and change them from perfectionism to like, we get to take care of ourselves, right? And we get to show up and like work through things. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me is such an important part of the work and this sense of I don't think there's such paternalism in the white evangelical church right that it's seen as we are doing something so kind and gracious to you Uh, let's see if I can find the quote I was just reading bell hooks today and she had this great great quote about this about like you can be caring and um here we go. Um, he does not consider, she's talking about steel, the reality that goodwill can coexist with racist thinking and white supremacist attitudes, right? Mm-hmm. So we think that like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. so kind, like all these 
like white evangelical people, there's, there is this ethos and like this great sense of let's help other people. Right. And let's mm -hmm. focus on service and, um, things like that, which is really wonderful. And I think the question is, is it coming from listening and empowerment and respect, or is it coming from, we know what's best and we want to bring you into this place of what's best, mm. right? Um, this very mater paternalistic kind of ideas that I think, you know, the white evangelical culture is just laced with and has no idea. Like, yeah. I remember reading, um, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to add that they have an agenda at all times. <laughs> yeah. And it's seen as a divine agenda, right? And mm -hmm. that it's caring and generous to give that to you. I remember I, I hated um, going on like evangelical like visitation where you'd have to do, like learn the Romans road and share that with people that have just come uh, to visit the church. Yeah. That was one of the, oh, like I hated that. <laughs> like, can I just, like, I don't mind visiting. Can you just say hi? Can you be a new know. friend? <laughs> Low pressure it. here. <laughs> Everything was high pressure, right? Because it was seen as like these cosmic um, stakes that at any moment, like it is your responsibility to save people and you know the right thing and they don't. And so you have to teach them and bring mm -hmm. them into this. Um, that can be so disrespectful. And I don't think because of that paternalistic attitude, I don't think they realize that, right? And that is part of this heart of, what feels so um, bad about the evangelical church to those outside of it, you know, and that I think a lot of people really invested in as much as don't get that, mm. right? They're like, why can't you see that I care about you? I'm doing this to help. And the other people are like, well, why can't you see that like you're being really disrespectful? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think about this, uh, this example in my life where um, the first women's march after the Trump election, woof, that was quite a yeah. long time ago. But I remember I was on campus at APU, a Christian university, and I worked in the uh, missions office at the time and I had friends and I was like, come on, come on, guys, you got to come with us. You two are boys. You got to come with me to the Women's March on Saturday or Sunday or whenever it was. And two of them took me up on it and we went and one of them was very... Um, he grew up Armenian and Armenians tend to be conservative, at least here in SoCal. And... Mm -hmm. I remember him on the phone with his dad and they're like arguing because his dad's like, how could you be there? Like, that's bad. And da, da, da. and his son is just like, I'm trying to learn, dad. I'm here with my friend. I'm trying to learn. And it was such like a experience for him. And then at one point we get, there's a, like a Sikh church in downtown LA, I think. And they're just standing in front of their church, feeding people as much as they can. Like they created like, these beautiful bowls of rice and lentils. And I remember because I love rice and lentils. <laughs> and they're just feeding you. And I don't know their beliefs, and but they weren't like converting you. They weren't handing out pamphlets. They weren't trying to do anything other than feed them. And that mm -hmm. was such an impactful experience for me and my friends that were there coming from like this missions office at a Christian university. And then seeing beside these people who are religious in their own right, just seeing a need and like trying to make sure that people don't pass out or whatever just feeding them like this simple meal that's super cheap for them to make but they just wanted to be able to participate in a way that was like we see you and we support you and then right next to them is these evangelical protesters saying that we're all going to hell for killing our babies oh wow it was just such a dichotomy of like this is what you claim to be 
but this is who you are and these are the people that you want to oppress and you don't want them around and you don't want their beliefs anywhere near the american zeitgeist because they're not white people (laughs) right it was such an experience of okay so this is what we're signing up for but this is what we want to be i don't understand and i don't understand why we're saying that these people are going to hell when clearly i think we're the ones going to hell for harassing people if hell exists (laughs) and it's so not trauma informed right especially at a women's march you have people that are very traumatized by religion and then you're just gonna continue to perpetuate the cycle that's great good messaging Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh gosh but I mean, now that you're on the other side with the rest of us, how do you, as a therapist, view not just the structures, but like the people from the outlandish to the more benign characters? You mean within like evangelical Christianity or like Christian nationalism? I guess, (laughs) you know, I have both a lot of compassion coming from that and you know, being so wholeheartedly in that because that was all I knew. Um, and still some triggering and mm-hmm. still some like grief and sadness. Um, I think a lot of what I have come down to in my life is just, I wish I had more choices, right? Like I wish it wasn't such a high control environment where I had been able to explore other ideas and um, be exposed to more things from a young age. And I would like that to be true now too, right? Mm. Instead of this polarization where we can't even consider the other side, we can't even consider anything outside of our um, little framework because that is the right thing, right? This good, bad binary, this right, wrong kind of um, binary thinking Mm. it just feels so harmful um the like the the racist stuff and the the hatefulness it just kind of boggles my mind I guess it feels like it makes sense that it's always been there and so of course it's boiling to the surface and it's so now it's overt instead of covert Mm. but um yeah it's kind of mind-boggling that to me that um people are their whole ethos is centered around that right their whole framework for life um it's just really really awful um yeah i mean the more i become embodied and the more i think about my body existing in the world and what the way i look or the way i act the like how people perceive that yeah, I do find empathy. People often think that I'm crazy because I love talking to conservative people. Oh, it's my bread and butter. It gives me so much life. One from a like, oh, you're so dumb. And two from a, like, oh, sweetie um, standpoint. <laughs> That's so great. I'm so glad you do because it's really hard for me now. <laughs> I mean, gosh. Like helping all the people that have come out of it like yeah. that I love. I love so much. Because <laughs> it's just like, I mean, finding the humor makes things a lot easier because just like, oh my God, what is wrong with you? But like I I get it right like from some standpoint like I understand if you live in a place where there are no people of color and then you watch tv and all you get is the cholos and all you get is the black drug dealers and mm-hmm. crack addicts or whatever else this media is spewing out you're just like yeah I guess you would have a preconceived notion about who we are as people but um right. the internet also exists asshole <laughs> yeah 
-hmm. It's like a funny dichotomy. But um, speaking of oppression, you're actually part of a, a new nonprofit, right? I am. Yeah, I'm on the, uh, they call it a wisdom council, which is something basically the board um, of Order of St. Hildegard. Mm -hmm. And so it's based on a Christian mystic that has had anti-oppressive ideas um, way back when and bringing those to the forefront now and creating a space for anti-oppressive spirituality. Mm -hmm. They just started their first um, cohort for basically um, like a mini seminary where you can be ordained as the chaplain um, through their organization and they they're just starting the first cohort of that so there's classes in spiritual direction and like one of the first meetings is all about how do we have a safe community that is not high control that's respectful that's empathetic that respects boundaries and that kind of thing so um yeah it's really exciting to be a part of that I love it. What are some of the like the like the the initial the short and dirty version of like some of the things that these new uh, not religious spaces but spiritual spaces can do to make sure that they're not only trauma informed but not oppressive? Like, what are the some of the first few things they can do? Um, so I think understanding the the high control versus like freedom to listen to yourself and and that dichotomy, right? Like moving to this collectiveness, this respect for others, the healthiness of boundaries and safe communication and conflict resolution and what does that look like? Um, and continually tweaking that and making space for that. I think it's a lot easier in smaller spaces, right? And you mm-hmm. keep having to like, how do we expand that to larger ones? Um, but that's the first step. And then just that there's respect and inclusiveness for everyone as you're processing through this um and they have a variety of perspectives and backgrounds and um people from any space or faith or um space to create this place where we can connect with the spiritual but it doesn't have to be so um top down yeah yeah the top down thing really gets me especially (laughs) now that i feel like for whatever reason, I'm at the quote unquote top of this hierarchy at a church. Not like because I'm a mm-hmm. pastor or anything, but just because right. I work there and people think that I have some like power dynamics are just ingrained right. in our psyche at this point. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm an idiot, dude. Don't listen to me. I don't know what I'm doing either. Okay. Like, I'm not the boss. I, <laughs> how about we just do this together? Okay. And I'm just yeah. like, if I feel this way, and I mean, I'm, I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty therapized. I like feel like I get the situation, but if I feel like an not an imposter, but like an idiot leading other idiots, how do these like mega churches function? Like how the no wonder these people come out with like these crazy sex scandals and all this other stuff. Like there's no there's no healthy way to hold that much power for these mostly men, right? Like there's just yeah. There's no way you can't go crazy leading a mega church. Like I mean, you shouldn't. Right. Well, and there's so much restrictions around behavior and so many expectations of what's right and wrong and not enough support, I think, for the leaders to really be real people. Yeah. Um, And I don't know, like being married to a pastor's wife, I've kind of, I mean, being being a pastor's (laughs) wife, being married to a pastor, I um, wonder as a therapist, if the pastor becomes the surrogate, like, 
parent, God figure, authority figure that you do all of your work with, kind of like therapists, we're trained to be like, oh, people are going to treat you like this other person they need to work out stuff with, mm. right? And I, I feel like that happens a lot in these communities and these spaces too, with whatever that authority figure is, you work out whatever your other authority figure issues are, or your issues with God, or your issues with your parents, or your boss, or whoever it is. Um, and so that's a lot of pressure, I think, on the the pastor and the leadership as well, right? Like it's just ends up being a high pressure environment all around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even pastors wives, like I remember when our current pastor came and his family was coming too, she was like, so she's so timid, like the pastor's wife is timid and she's shy and she's very nice, but she's not like the typical classic pastor's wife, you know? And I remember having a conversation about it and I was like, ah, Christina, nobody gives a shit here. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to sit in the front pew, sit wherever you want. Nobody cares here. You don't have to be a pastor's wife. And she was so relieved and it was so sad. Like nobody has expectations of you. You don't have to plan things for free. You're not the one getting paid to be here. All right. Like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. <laughs> and it's nice to have her just be around, like to just we go to lunch after church and we're just friends and they we have events and they're just friends and it's so the dynamic that i think everybody actually wants with their pastor because i mean growing up the pastor of my parents church was like this figure and if you were friends with him like you were in and you were the cool yeah uh -huh. <laughs> and then i just remember th like going to his house like because his kid would babysit me or something and thinking Bitch, why is your house nicer than ours? Like, we're all here living in the hood and you're just like, uh -huh. have a bougie ass house. This isn't fair. And losing all respect for this guy because he had a nice house. Yep. Yep. But I just, yeah, I mean, the church is just set up for failure, I feel like, the way that we've done it here on Earth. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, it's crazy, but. Yeah. I mean, and I think we're always trying, like, all of the the church reforms right throughout history is like trying to balance that out right and trying to reform what wasn't working before <laughs> so um i really like um richard Rohr has a book about um kind of this process of he goes from like from order disorder reorder right mm. so anytime the current order isn't working we have to move to some disorder while we're trying to reset up a better order right but we need some sort of order to live in but then we're kind yeah. of continually in that whole process and so I like thinking about it that way and that the disorder is not a problem and I think that's part of what's been hard about the evangelical subculture is like disorder is seen as sinful rebellious the problem mm -hmm. instead of like that is part of human growth um and transformation and healing and healthier spaces mm -hmm. and so I mean that's kind of what we're going through in this moment of deconstruction too right on this wider arena is like okay this the current structure is not working and so how do we rearrange this and come up with a new anti-oppressive order <laughs> i agree i mean i'm all for <laughs> burning down the mega churches and just going back to these little tiny community churches because they're cuter and easier to manage <laughs> but you know nobody listens to me so it's fine <laughs> But I have loved this conversation. I love coming at deconstruction and religiosity from a therapeutic perspective because I just feel like it's more aligned with humanity, right? In our own personal situations. Um, but before we go, how about you? We, let's 
round it all off by you plugging away at all the things you got going on. Oh, sure. Um, so I have a free master class to learn how to trust yourself. Um, the attachment style quiz to God. You can learn more about the order of St. Hildegard. They're creating, um, uh, like a membership thing where you can just be part of the community, but that's still in the works. And then I am doing groups for going through this process um, in a small group of healing religious trauma and learning how to trust yourself again. Mm. My first group is starting next week, um, February 2nd, but I will be having another group really soon. Um, so that is also um, a possibility. And then I'll be coming up with, you know, lots of other fun things. Yeah. Do you, have a, well. um, do you have a website or an Instagram or something like I that? I do. Um, yeah. My website's the best way. It's cqcounseling.com. And you can find everything there. Um, and if you do either of the, the master class or the attachment quiz, you'll be on my email list. And I'm just constantly putting out lots of new thoughts about all of these things um, every week. So that's the best place to join me. Ugh, I am on Instagram, but I'm not posting all that much I do Ugh, a lot of instagram my work is on, a you know. cesspool now too it's fine it's so hard yeah. to be on instagram <laughs> I, feel I really you. need to be in these like deeper thought spaces or my like healing space so that's that's what yeah. works best for me i feel yeah well friends this has been i hope this has been very informative for all of you um you got a little free therapy schooling so you're welcome. <laughs> Sign up for all the things if you need help. Um, you know, sometimes being outside of the church spaces for help is much more beneficial. I would say that. Um, as always, you can find us on Speaking in Church on Instagram, where I try my hardest to be good about it. But, you know, sometimes I'm not. You can find me personally at Josie Takes the World, where you can see me crochet. That's pretty much all I do on there these days. You can see, watch me make my granny things. Um, we have merch, we have a tip jar, all those things as usual. And other than that, I hope you have a good day. And as always, stay woke or get woke, friends. Bye! This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.